I have to tell you, I had a lovely, uh, fun uh, family trip. I just love our family trips. I love spending time with my family. You know, we had a great time in North Carolina, uh, there in Wilmington, in the area about. Uh, we actually stayed in a place called Surf City. Uh, we didn't do any surfing, but uh, uh, but it was really just it was just lovely. Uh, we, when Micah and Brinkley got married in August, uh, Carrie and Cole and Mesa, because Mesa was just a few months old, uh, they weren't able to go out there uh, for the wedding, and so we had planned this thing way back then that uh, spring break comes, we're all going to go out there and spend some time together. And so we got to do that. And uh, it was just a lot of fun. We took a lot of pictures. I thought I'd show you just a couple um, uh, for about our time. So we, here's our family picture we took. Uh, Andrew was able to do it on a tripod there on the beach. And so we did that. Here's a, yeah, <laughs> I wish I'd put the one up with Mason in her sunglasses. It was really cute. But uh, uh, Mesa was definitely a joy, and, and it's a long trip out there. Um, if you drive all the way through, which we did on the way back, we left at 9 o'clock at night, and we got back in Coffeeville at 9 o'clock the next night. Uh, so 24 hours on the road. On the way out there, we, we stayed in a, an old log cabin that was built in the 1840s, 50s. Uh, of course, it was modernized. Uh, they had plumbing and all of that stuff, but... Uh, but that was a really cool experience uh, for us, and so we kind of broke it up on the way out there. This is a picture of one night. We, we got this, it's called a topsail steamer. They had these steamer buckets. We actually did two of them. Um, but they put all of everything that you need, uh, you know, you choose what you want in it. And so we got some, you know, lobster and some uh, shrimp and, and I don't know what all in, that went in those things. But uh, and then you just take it home and you put it on and it tells you exactly what to do, but you just cook it there, you know, at your place. And so, and they'll ship these things like all over uh, the States, but it was kind of neat. Um, and I have to tell you, the hamburger was my favorite night, uh, but, but I like seafood okay. Uh, it's it's uh, uh, not my absolute favorite, but it was Cole and Lori and Micah for sure. Uh, Brinkley really liked it too. But they just loved it, you know. And, and Lori, when we had all this out there that displayed, Lori asked um, Andrew if he would have our prayer. And there was like this hesitancy, you know, about Andrew. And Lori's like, Andrew, will you have our prayer kind of thing? And so I don't know if he was trying to figure out, like, how do I ask God to bless this? Or, or if he was afraid that when he closed his eyes that it might crawl off. You know, I don't know what he was thinking, but there was some a pause in Andrew when he was asked to pray. So, but, uh, but we all participated to some degree. Even, even Jeremiah had a couple things uh, off the plate, but, but it was good. So anyway, we had a great time. You know, some of our memories uh, just happen, you know, in life. But most of the memories that we have, you know, growing up and family and all this is, is because they were planned. Um, but every now and then we'll have things that will just happen. For instance, I'll give you an example of one that just happened. When me and my older brother, when we were kind of pretty young, we found this frog. And we just had all kinds of plans for Frogger. That was his name and or her name. We weren't real sure if it was a she or a he. Uh, we kind of thought it might have been a he, but, uh, you know, I don't know how you tell, but... But we had plans for Frogger, so we built a pen, spent the whole afternoon building a pen for Frogger, and, 
And so we, you know, had all this conversation about Frogger's future. We had plans, you know, like we're going to have a bunch of frogs. We've got to go get another frog, you know, but we're going to have a bunch of frogs and maybe we can sell the frogs. And we had all these thoughts, but we had some rules that we had to establish for Frogger because we wanted Frogger to be well cared for. And so we, that's the reason we built the pen. But one of the first rules we had is that Danger, our youngest brother, he could not play with Frogger. He was too young, you know. I mean, he just, he's too rough. He wouldn't know how to care for Frogger. So he was just out of the picture. And of course, he did not like that a bit, but, you know, he kind of settled into it. And that's just the way that was just going to be. After a while, you know, we decided to go in and have some lemonade, continue to talk about Frogger and his future and, you know, and just the plans that we have for him. And, and so we were in there discussing uh, about it. And we had all these ideas, you know, about making, like, you know, just things for him to play with while he's in his little pen and, you know, things that sort. And so, so we went back out, and when we got out there, interestingly, you know, Dinger, he, he always goes off and finds other things to do. That's just his nature. And so he was already busied himself with my grandpa's, like, old mower, you know, those little circular or multi-blades, you know, kind of mower, no, no engine, you know, just, and, of course, he was, like, the up here, you know, because he's this little bitty guy pushing it. It was kind of cute, but uh, so anyway, we went over to, to do our thing with Frogger and start making these plans, and Frogger's not there in the pen, and so we just panic, you know. We were just like looking everywhere around the corner of the house and all kinds of places for Frogger. Where did Frogger go? And about that time, I look up at Jeff, and he looks up at me, like our eyes meet at the same time, and we're both thinking the same thing, like, danger. And so, we run over to Dinger, and instantly Frogger is just scattered all over the yard. There's a leg here and a leg there and some lips there. I don't know. He's just everywhere. He's trying to get rid of all the evidence, you know, like mowing over this thing. Now, that would be an example of one of those memories that was unplanned, but it, it still is a memory. It's kind of become a little bit fond memory at this point, you know, but a memory. Uh, but most of our memories that we have are, are memories because they were created moments in life. You know, like I have so many memories of sports. I mean, me and my two brothers, we were involved in every sport that they offered. Well, there's a whole lot more choices these days than, than there was back then. But we were definitely basketball, baseball, football, you know, those kinds of things. And, and we traveled all over the place. My parents would take us everywhere and just all those fond memories of sports, but they were all planned. You know, and just trips that we had, school functions, family gatherings. We constantly were down at my grandparents, Grandma and Grandpa Elrod, you know, on Sunday afternoon having supper with them or lunch with them and those kinds of things. Hunting, you know, was always a huge thing in my family, and I can recall so many hunting um, excursions that we would have, hunting quail and, you know, pheasants and different things of that sort. And, and so I can remember all the fishing trips that Grandma and Grandpa Hastings would take us on and just all the cards that we would play at their house. But regardless, most of those things required some type of planning ahead of time. Every now and then there would be like a spontaneous this or that. But a lot of the memories that I have are around planned activities. You know, uh, Oscar Wilde says this, memory is the diary we carry about with us. Memory is the diary we carry about with us. Robert uh, Brault said, 
Enjoy the little things in life, for one day you may look back and realize they are the big things. I think that's true, don't you? Cicere Pavisi wrote, We don't remember days, we remember moments. And I have great memories of my upbringing. You know, I could just go on and on with stories. And Lori has great memories of her upbringing. And Lori and I, since we've been married, have great memories of just family times, you know, whether they're done around here, sports-related, whatever they be, you know, our trips to Colorado, uh, just all of those things are important to us. And Lori and I want to try and purposefully create those moments because we realize that most moments that our kids will continue to carry on throughout, you know, their lives and into their kids' lives are things that were planned. And so hopefully, you know, special, we will be able to create special moments that they will cherish for a lifetime. But we realize, and I'm sure you realize this too, but you can't just do a one-moment thing and be done with it. Like, uh, we, there, you got your memory. It's just one of those things that just have to be constantly done. You know, you just create a memory and a moment, but you create another memory and a moment, and you create another memory and a moment. And it's by creating and creating and creating that you actually are able to instill uh, what you're really trying to create, you know, in all of that. Because it isn't, it, it, our memories work that way. If you, if you create one, it's easy to f- forget. And it's only in the midst of creating them on top of one another that they, they actually end up, you know, staying and one leading to another and things of that sort. Because we are kind of forgetful people, too, my little brother is back. He was driving back the same time we were driving back to North Carolina. He lives up by Chicago area. And uh, he was driving back, and he's at my parents today. My, my dad is, is uh, celebrating his 79th birthday. Yes, okay. Um, and uh, so we're all getting together after church today, and so we're going to be able to see him and, and his kids and and, uh, and so I'm excited about that. And, and one of the things that's really exciting about when we all get together is we always reminisce, you know, that you do that. And you reminisce and you talk about it. And I used to get really scared about those times too, though, because some of the reminiscing went back, you know, things that I don't really wanted to reminisce with my kids being, in, you know, present in the same room. Uh, but I've kind of, they're old enough now, I've kind of gotten over that somewhat. But, uh, uh, but anyway... I love cell phones, the way that the new iPhones, you know, you can go to do these moments in life, and you can capture them with your pictures, and then at the end of that, they will literally put together a little movie. Have you done this with your phone? And that's kind of cool uh, to be able to do that. And so, anyway, with all of that being said, just talking about memories, the importance of them and stuff, I want to read to you, as we get started here in God's Word, Second Peter 1. 12 through 15. 2 Peter 1, 12 through 15. This is what Peter said. He says, Therefore, I intend always to remind you of these qualities, though you know them and are established in the truth that they are, that you have. I think it right, as long as I am in the body, to stir you up by the way of reminder. Since I know that the putting off of my body will be soon, as our Lord Jesus Christ made clear to me, 
I will make every effort so that after my departure, you may be able at any time to recall these things. I just think that's really cool what Peter is talking about there. He's just talking about the importance of remembering and being reminded. And as he's getting older, he realizes even more so the importance of this. And as I get older, I realize even more so the importance of family time and these trips and these gatherings that we try to create, you know, purposefully, you know, having these moments in time. And that's what he's talking about here. He's, I know how important this stuff is, even more so now, and it's important that we remember it. And I'm going to, even after my departure, I'm going to do my very best that you can anytime, anytime bring these things up. I think one of the, our primary roles as as a church on Sunday morning, like what, one of our number one reasons that we get together is just to get together and reminisce. We get together and open up the family photo album, the family book, the family stories, and just reminisce over and over, be reminded of our family history, of all of the things, events and, that have taken place. It's so important that we do this. We're not creating new things. I'm not coming up with something new under the sun. We're just continually talk about the old stories and the old truths and looking at the same old pictures. And we, and we just treasure them and we ponder them. And that's what we do as a church is we just are constantly reminded of these amazing things. And so since we are focused, you know, I have this theme going on of journey. That's kind of our theme. And we've been talking about, you know, this path that we are on. I thought it would be a good time maybe for us just to talk about this, to talk about the importance of memories, importance of reminding, the importance of purposefully uh, getting together and talking about the things of the past. You know, God purposefully provided events that would create lasting memories. I mean, this is the way God always done. He, he did not waste a story, a family story, right? He took every event that took place and he wanted them to continue to talk about it, continue to bring it up when you get together, continue to teach it to your children, let them know the history of our family kind of thing. And so he had three very special days, three festivals that God established for his people just for this very purpose. Like, one of them was the, the Feast of the Unleavened Bread. Remember that one? We called it also the Passover. And it was just that event, that festival that was, was established so that they would recall what God had done for them in the past. They were, they were people who were slaves. They were captured in Egypt, and they were being you know, mistreated and everything, and God came and rescued them. And so the Passover was just a celebration to remember how God rescued them, how God brought them out of Egypt. And then there's the the Feast of the Weeks, or we also call it the Feast of Pentecost. And it was just where Israel was to remember all the blessings that came from God. You know, it was also called the Feast of the First Fruits. And it was just to remember how, you know, God took them to a promised land, to a place that they could just prosper. They could grow crops and just grow abundance 
and just live well because of what God has done to them. And so they, God wanted this, something, this, this festival to be for them to remember you know, God's involvement and how he has blessed them. And then there's the, the Feast of Booths, uh, also known as the Feast of Tabernacles. And during this festival, it was just, it was to, they actually were to dwell in tents for 40 days. And, it, and the whole camping experience, the camping trip was just to remember how, you know, how God, uh, you know, everything that he's done for them, how he, he brought them out of the wilderness experience. You know, they were in the wilderness for 40 years. And so they were just to remember uh, this. And each of these festivals had just several things in common. There was a day set aside to remember something about their, you know, their relationship with God and how God worked. And on each of these festivals, Israel was supposed to go to a specific place, Jerusalem, to celebrate these festivals. It says to us in Deuteronomy 16, 16, uh, and 17, it says, Three times a year, all your males shall appear before the Lord your God at the place that he will choose. At the Feast of Unleavened Bread, at the Feast of Weeks, and at the Feast of Booths, they shall not appear before the Lord empty-handed. Every man shall give as he is able, according to the blessings of the Lord your God, that he has given you. And so this required a, a certain amount of sacrifice, required a certain amount of effort and time. And so these festivals, you know, part of how they grew their meaning was just in the midst of, you know, what it cost them, the planning that had to take place. You know, they had to plan for this trip. They had to save for this trip. They had to have everything ready. You know, you had to have the oil changed and the tires, you know, ruddy, roadworthy, and, uh, you know, you had to set aside some things. Now, now, why would God do this? Why would God expect his people to make such a journey, uh, to set aside s- such a time? Because you know how these trips are. They're always inconvenient, right? You know, a calving season is going on, or or, you know, my job is hard for me to get out. You don't understand that it's busy time right now or, or whatever it is. It's, it's never a convenient time to do anything planned, it seems. But why would God do this? Why would he require his people to leave their homes three times a year? Make this trek to Jerusalem to make such a sacrifice at the temple. And to simply put it, God wanted his people to remember. And he knew that if they did not make the effort they would quickly quit treasuring the memories, quit reflecting back upon what God has done, and they would just quit looking at the past. And that would not be good for his people. And so he wanted that. You know, our trip, as I was telling you, in North Carolina, it wasn't an easy trip. It was easy in the sense that we had no car problems, right? Um, uh, other than a windshield wiper, but that was a, like a really minor thing. But, we, but at the same time, it wasn't an easy trip. It was a long ways out there, you know, by car. I can't even tell you how many times we said, at some point, I think it came out of everybody's mouth besides Mesa's, but I bet she was thinking it. But uh, we're flying next time. <laughs> so I think we all kind of thought that way. But it was, 
it was good. And there's something about when you sacrifice like that that it actually, I don't know, enriches the whole experience. It, it's like, it's like you, you realize that why are we sacrificing this? This is what you reason in your head. And you instantly know the answer to that because of family. Because that's how important family time is. That's how important family is to do these things. It's just like when I go to Colorado and I've elk hunt. One of the things that enriched that whole trip is the sacrifice it took to haul that crazy, huge animal off the mountain, you know. And that, and that real difficulty actually was what made it so enjoyable, like, you know, in my mind and everything. And I kind of think that that's part of what God is doing here. He knows that if they make the effort, they will realize the importance of it. The importance. And it will be, in, it will be more impressed upon them and more impressed in their thoughts of, of how valuable this is and how important this is. But God wanted his people to remember who they were and whose they were. And so he used these festivals for that purpose. It was family time. It was, it was to instill in them how important family was and who was the father of this in the first place. Now, as parents and grandparents or whatever, that is what we want for our families as well. We, we want our kids to grow up and instill in them the importance of family and uh, and, and to understand, you know, just like importance of belonging. We want them to remember who they are and whose they are. And our best way in doing this is, is to create, you know, godly moments and memories. Just as God involved his people with religious activities and reminded them whose they were, we need to just constantly, I think, as a church, and as individual families constantly be working on doing this in our family groups and units as well, as well as, as our family as a church. Just, just activities that are reminding us who we are and whose we are. And that's why it always starts at the church, right? It goes farther and, and more broad and beyond that for sure. But it is this, this what we do here on Sunday morning is such a vital thing to uh, just remembering that. It, it's, it's like just as important as the festivals were to our forefathers in the faith, church should be to us. And I think that Jesus was constantly trying to instill that in us. I think that the disciples... And those who were passing the baton were constantly trying to instill that when you gather, this is really sacred moments. This is sacred time. This is important time. And I, always, I don't want to just like, just as they had three festivals, I want to point out three principles of how to strengthen our family time. And, and here's the first one that I want. You know, our faith must not only, it must be real, but it, it must have an urgency to it. And so, Here's, here's the first thing that I want to share with you, and that is worship with expectation when we gather here. There should be this sense of expectation about us. Exodus chapter 12, verse 11, it tells us that when the, the Israelites ate the Passover meal, this is what it says, and that, 
In this manner you shall eat it with your belt fastened, your sandals on your feet, and your staff in your hand, and you shall eat it in haste. It is the Lord's Passover. You know, and you know that situation where they were supposed to put blood over their doors and they were supposed to, to realize that when, when this, this angel of death comes and brings death upon the, you know, Pharaoh and his people, that they need to be ready to go. And uh, so that's how they were to eat it. So when they later, where they were to celebrate the Passover, they were to dress in that remembrance. They were to dress in this kind of a costume uh, affair just to remember what it was like when they did this first Passover and to reflect upon it. There was an urgency that God was trying to instill in his people, an expectation that God was trying to instill. You know, Lori, I think she does an amazing job in our family of trying to instill this within our family. In the sense that when we take trips, she is the one who is always trying to build up excitement in our family. I mean, every time that she can, she's just talking about, oh, our trip, I'm so excited about our trip, you know. And she's always trying to just create expectations in it. You know, what are we going to do? And she gets people involved, like she got Andrew involved. He's the one that found this old cabin, you know, that was really old. And, and uh, um, you know, she was super excited that, that he found it. She was excited that Cole was excited about this old cabin, you know. Uh, he's like, why do we need to go to the beach? Let's just hang out here at the cabin, you know. Um, and, uh, and so, but that all kind of comes from her. I mean, she's like creating this, right? Because she wants this to be something we all were excited about and, and are, are building anticipation. And I really think that this is what Sunday morning ought to be with for us. And, and you have to purposefully do this. You have to intentionally be in, in the midst of trying to create expectation. Not only with yourself, it starts with yourself, but then as, as it starts with you, it begins to, you know, go out to your kids and your, your husband. I can remember growing up that there was a little bit of lack of that to some degree at times, right? I can remember, like, it was duty. It, it, and, and most of the time, we talked our parents, my mom, out of it. You know, like, she'd be hollering up, hey, get up, we've got to go to church. Do we really have to? I don't feel very good, you know, or... Or we just go back to sleep, and, and we know that she won't go up the stairs to our bedroom. And so we just, you know, just kind of ignore it if we can. And so we've gotten out of it a lot. But, boy, when we did do it, you know, like, like my dad would be, my mom was still getting ready, and my dad would be impatient in the car, and so he began to honk. And I'm just telling you, as a husband for almost 30 years now, um, that's not a good thing to do. It doesn't help things. It doesn't hurry things. And uh, anyway, so if you can imagine, it was an argument on the way there, argument on the way back. Um, and it kind of lacked a little bit of expectation in the, in the sense of a good thing. But uh, I think that it has to be purposeful, right? It, it like, has to be something that you, you intentionally do. Oh, who do you think is going to be there today? You know, with you're talking to your kids. Oh, you're going to play with, you know, this person or that person. And, and you just are trying to create an environment where they expect, you know, have high expectations we, 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 when they get there. But we do this also as adults, you know. Uh, I'm looking forward to what Mike's, even if you're not looking forward to it. But if you say that, you know, like your, your husband or your wife might be like, oh, well, maybe I am too. Yeah, okay. 
Um, and so you try to build this positive. Do you know how the, you know the, the number one way churches grow is because of this anticipation, this expectation. At the moment that however they create it, sometimes they create it by, you know, just a lot of lights and, and smoke and stuff like this. Sometimes they create it by, um, um, you know, starting some kind of campaign. I don't know. There's a, I suppose there's a lot of ways that churches are brilliant in creating it. But it's the moment that they can convince the people to build their expectation is the moment that the church begins to bloom, begins to grow. Because here's what happens. The moment that you have some expectation and anticipation is the moment that you begin it when you're at, at work and you just say, man, I just love my church. Or you begin to wear this shirt, I love my church. Or, and all of a sudden you, just, you, you, you are creating something around the people around you like, hey, we got to go check that out. And that's just one of the first things, I think, about church that is so important. Because this is a, a time of remembrance. And if you want to create uh, it in a very positive way, you have to have that. So here's the second thing. Not only should we be approaching worship with an anticipation, but we, we should also make every effort to make it enjoyable and a pleasing experience. It doesn't have to be, you know, a concert some people think that it has to be, and, and not that there's anything wrong with that, but, it's, but it just has to be a good experience. It's got to be enjoyable and pleasing. And so worship should be a celebration. There should be this sense of, that's, what, that's what's one of the things that went on, right? You know, these festivals that they went to, there was definitely this soberness about it, this reflectiveness about it when they got together. And so when you had the Passover dinner, it wasn't time for jokes and, and craziness. It was time for seriousness. You dressed in your outfit, and you did these ceremonial things, and it was time for reverence and stuff. But it was also a celebration. It was also a festival. It was also for fun and, and for enjoyment and, and things that sort such. Irma uh, Bombeck tells the story of a little boy at church with his, with his mom, and this is what she says. He was a good little boy, quiet and well-behaved. He didn't cause any problems. But every once in a while, he would stand up in the pew, turn around and look at the people behind him and smile at them. His smile was infectious, she writes. And soon everybody behind him was starting to smile back at him too. Have you ever experienced this? Right? It was all going fine until the mother realized that the little, what the little boy was doing. When she did, she grabbed him by the ear and twisted it a bit. <laughs> I remember getting my ear twisted a few times. She would twist it a little bit, told him to sit down and, and remember that he was in church. And then he started sniffling and crying and she turned to him and she says, that's better. And she writes, the fact is, worshipers can get caught up in being so serious about their faith, about their worship, that there is little room for smiles, for enjoyment, for happiness. And I just think that that's really pretty insightful, to be honest with you. You know, church should always be an enjoyable experience, no matter how old you are. But we have to create that. 
We have to be purposeful in, in, in making those moments be that. Now, I, I've been to a couple churches, and not many, but a couple churches where it almost, they, almost I feel like they cross the line a little bit, where kids are just run uh, completely out of control and like they lose a little bit of the reverence about it. And, and not, I'm, not, I'm talking about like during the service itself going on, right? Not, not, you know, before and after and all that. But I think that there, there can be, it's like one of those things like in all, all family things. There's like, you know, every time you, if you ever had conversations with your kids, you, you're always trying to help them with these lines, right? You know, like there is a line that can be stepped over and you kind of lose the, you know, the, the importance. Like you, and so we're constantly have had those conversations with our kids. See, like, we want you to have fun. You just need to know when it's time to have fun and when it's time to be serious and when it's time to be reverent and, and that kind of thing. And I think that that's the same. Let me tell you something. A perfect example of what I'm trying to express was, was last week. We were just left our old cabin. We're driving, you know, the rest of our little way. And, and because we're very much on a time schedule through our vacation, um, we decided to not go to, to a church service there on our first stop. We decided to go ahead and, and move on towards uh, Wilmington. But what was awesome is that we got to go to church in our car, driving down the interstate. And, you know, thankfully, uh, the Lord made it possible for us not lose signal, and we got to watch from start to finish y'all's service last week. And it was just awesome. But something that Lori and I were just, we just absolutely loved. Actually, everybody in our car just loved. But little Emmett up here playing his guitar, was that not awesome? And uh, I just thought that was really cool. And Greg, he sent me a picture later, and it was a really cute picture. I didn't get to see it on the live stream, but he was actually sitting down with his guitar at one point. But we just absolutely love that because that is exactly what I'm trying to say. There's, there, just sense, there has to be this sense of enjoyment and pleasure. At the same time, it's, it's purposeful and reverent. Like we got to make sure we always keep it about God and we don't lose that. Where all of a sudden we're making it about just my own fun and not, you know, why we're here and remembering why we're here. And I just think that that was just a perfect illustration of that which leads to my third thing and that is that uh, this not only do we want it to have you know worship should have this expectation and worship should have this enjoyment and pleasure involved in it but it also should be an experience where we teach our children about loving god this is this is worship is a time that we are reflective you know we're we're putting to you know putting to work this this thing God gave us, and that is our memories and and our remembrance of him and and we're beginning to teach and to impress this upon uh, our children. Well little Mesa will probably not remember this trip that we just had, although she was the best traveler of us all. I mean she was bright eyed bushy tail she was awake and she was she was doing just perfectly fine, but she probably won't remember it. Besides, when we show her the pictures and we tell her the story. And you, you remember having those trips when you were little? I remember going to Disneyland or Disney World, whichever the one is in California, when I was like two or three. 
And I, don't rem- I remember a few little things. I remember how terrifying Mickey Mouse was. I absolutely didn't like him from then on. <laughs> this gigantic thing that, that scared me to death when I got there. I remember that. Um, but, uh, but I remember a lot about the trip because of how many times my grandma would put, bring out the photo album and they'll mostly be like black and white pictures. There was a few colored pictures because we were kind of in between there. And she would just tell me stories about our trip. And it was almost as if I remember it all. And that's really kind of the thing that we're doing here on Sunday morning is we begin to teach our, our children about how much God loves us. And for a lot of us, you know, we can be an adult and still be children in the faith and learning these amazing things. But Exodus chapter 12, verse 26, it tells Israel, the Israelites, when, when, you, when your children ask you, what does the ceremony mean to you? When they te- and, and then you tell them, it is the Passover sacrifice of the Lord who passed over the houses of Israel in Egypt and, and spared our homes when he struck down the Egyptians. And so they were to tell that and to tell that. And God uses these festivals to teach the children about him, about how much he cares for them and how much he loves them. And so my point is, is that we, we intentionally are looking for opportunities to teach. Natalie, you know, was baptized a couple weeks ago, and it's a awesome, perfect time for us if we have other children to just be teaching them why Natalie did that. You know, like, you, you know, just having those conversations. And Natalie was super excited because now she gets to take communion. And it's a perfect time to instill and to teach why we do this, you know. And, uh, and so just using those opportunities um, to to instill those things. Communion is a lot like that. It's a teachable moment. When, so I'm going to tell you this, and then we'll kind of wrap things up here. One of my things that I was so looking forward to on this trip, and it did not disappoint me in the least, I tried to build some anticipation, like what Lori does, you know, about this, because I wanted to do it so bad. But uh, I wanted to visit my great, 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 great-grandpa and grandma's grave. Now, you, that's a lot of greats. Um, it's eight generations back. And he and my, you know, my great-great-great-great-grandpa and grandma um, lived in North Carolina. Uh, they came from uh, Pennsylvania, went to Maryland, and then ended up in North Carolina. Uh, they had 12 kids. Um, This was, he was born in 1721. She was born in 1724. Uh, He lived to be uh, 64, and she lived to be in uh, 79. He died on his birthday. Um, Anyway, and so I had been doing this study about him. And when I realized that the graveyard that they were buried at was just like, I don't know, 10, 15 minutes off the interstate we were going to go by. I got real excited. And so I began to send pictures of, you know, the grave site and stuff like this. And, hey, this is, you know, 
Christopher Elrod and a Tej Elrod um, gravesite, and it'd be cool to stop there and stuff like that. I never got too much excitement about it, but enough that they were okay with us doing it. All right, and so pull up that picture, Andrew. Now, what you don't see in that picture is when I squatted down like that, I ripped my pants. So it is time to go back on that diet, I'm telling you. But this is Christopher Elrod's uh, headstone, and Atij is not too far from there. What's really cool is um, there was a few Elrods there. We found another Sarah Elrod that was there, which was uh, Christopher Elrod Jr.'s, so I found out later, my my family don't know this, but uh, his wife is who that was. And, and uh, so anyway, this was kind of cool because, I mean, literally you cannot go anywhere in our neck of the woods and find a grave that's in the 1700s. I'm not. I mean, if you have, I would be interested in knowing where that is uh, because we just hadn't really kind of made it this far yet. Uh, but just to be standing on the same ground, and I have his memoirs, I have her memoirs, you know, that they talk about their life, and so it ex- explains about their personality and what kind of people they were and, and things like that. And She was such a spiritual woman. I mean, just constantly quoting scripture in German and in English and uh, uh, just talk, couldn't wait to be, you know, after Christopher died. She lived like 20 more years, and she just couldn't wait to, to be with the Lord. And just learning all this stuff was just really important to me. And so and, and being able to stop by there was just awesome. It was in the middle of a, like a city, right, around Winston-Salem is where it is. And so it's a big place, and it's populated everywhere. But when you find this gravesite, you feel like you were in the middle of nowhere, in the middle of the city. We were going down little roads. We were on, like, major roads until you come off of this, and then it was just like little gravel paths kind of thing. It was just like, wow, this is weird almost. But uh, anyway, this is, uh, and the reason that we have these headstones is because they were so plugged into a church, or it wouldn't even exist. Most people back then were buried with maybe a rock or a, a little twig or something that was marking their stones. And so we don't have most people's graves unless they were plugged into a church, and this is what church is. I wouldn't have their memoirs if it wasn't that they were plugged into a church. And so I'm really thankful for that heritage, you know. Uh, he wasn't the, he isn't the one who migrated, his, his dad migrated, John Teeter Elrod, migrated from around Switzerland, um, uh, German border area is where they came from. And so all of this was important to me, so I wanted my family to really start trying to absorb why this is important to me. You know, and as I'm standing around this grave, I'm just thinking, like, for me this many generations pass for me to be standing on the same ground that they stood on. And for me to realize, and so later when we did our communion time in our little church time together as a family, I was just explaining this, you know, like, like um, uh, just the importance of remembering and appreciating your past and, and, and your heritage kind of thing. I, I was just said, you know, Mesa would not be here if it wasn't for, the, you know, Christopher and Atij and the decisions they made. And none of us would be here if it wasn't for John Teeter making a decision. We wouldn't live in the United States if it wasn't for John Teeter making a decision to voyage over here. And what, what did that all have to, you know, play into? I mean, I bet that would have been a 
like a borderline decision, back and forth kind of thing at times, maybe. But but they lived among the Indians. You know, they had to take refuge at the fort, little fort thing that they had just because of the Indian wars at the time and stuff. And so it was just really interesting to me. And so I was just explaining this to them, you know, that we wouldn't even be here if it went for these people and just to be able to pray, pay some tribute and, and to honor, a little bit of an honor in this way and to just recognize that. But then I quickly went to, that's why we do communion. It's, it's just a time of remembering and honoring. It's a time of reflecting. It's a time of, uh, you know, of this kind of thing. And so all I'm trying to point out is, is that worship has these elements involved. And one of them is, is to constantly teach our, each other and our children how much God loves us and what he sacrificed for us. It'd be easy to have a fourth one here, and I'm not going to really dive into that, but, but just as that passage in Deuteronomy 16.16 16 says, don't come empty-handed, you know, it's got to sacrifice something. It'd be easy to just talk about that, the importance uh, of sacrifice. Every Sunday, we are making a decision to be here. And sometimes we sacrifice our sleep. Sometimes we just sacrifice, you know, something else we might would like to do. But the reason we're here is because God deserves the sacrifice. And every time we come to the table or we come to worship, it is letting God know how, how important he is to us and that he's worth it. Um, and anyway... God has established. He established those, those uh, uh, festivals to help them remember. But I think that we have replaced that in, since Jesus has come with the church. And he has established the church so that we don't forget. All we're doing every Sunday is just remembering the good old stories and how he has blessed us. Let's, let's pray. Father God, we uh, thank you so much uh, for church. We thank you, Father, for just the importance of our gathering. It's just us reflecting upon how amazing you are and how good you've been to us. It's remembering who we are and whose we are and where we've come from, how we have gotten to be forgiven of our sins and how we have gotten to be plugged into your family, be adopted into your family, to be a part of your family. And Father, we just we just want to acknowledge how much we appreciate our time together, how much we appreciate you. And as we step into this communion time, we are just reminded of everything we have in you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.